My subject this morning is a call to Christian witness. Last week, we took a look at the beginning of chapter 9 at a story of Jesus healing a man who had been born blind, restoring his sight completely. Such a powerful and public miracle. It's not one that you could be healed of and then be kind of hide the fact that you had been healed on the side. This brought the man great joy, having been born blind, now is able to experience the world completely visually. But the overall public, enthousi uh, uh, public reaction was less than enthusiastic. And as we ended last week, we began with the same verse we're going to start with today in John chapter 9, verse number 13, where it says, They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, he being Jesus, and I washed and I see. For reasons that are not completely explained in the story, they brought this man, his friends, this community, brought him to the religious leaders, the Pharisees specifically. Now we need to understand that part, that, that culture and time. The synagogue and the local synagogues in each community were pretty much not just the center of religious activity. They really were like, like small claims court where small little things were, were taking place. If something larger had to be dealt with, it would go to the Sanhedrin. But the local synagogues held a lot of power in a lot of local, even non-religious matters. And one could assume that one of the things they brought this man to the Pharisees to do was to verify this miracle. But their focus is not on the miracle itself not on the fact that this man was healed. Their initial focus is on when it was done and that it involved breaking one of their extensions of Old Testament law. And their conclusion, which we're going to dive into their conclusion a lot today, is in John chapter 9, verse, starting in verse number 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. I need to be clear. And I tried to find verification of this and did some research. There is nothing in the Old Testament law that prohibited healing on the Sabbath. What it prohibited was work on the Sabbath. And since that wasn't clear for many people throughout the centuries, the religious leaders wanting to help people. And I'll do this, help people. They wanted to provide clarification on what the word work meant. And so they came up with 39 clarifications of put forth. And you can thank God right now, I'm not going to read you all 39 clarifications. But one of them involved healing. And healing was permitted on the Sabbath as long as it involved life or death. And in this situation, it didn't involve life or death. He would have been blind the next day as well. 
So we, what I'm seeing here is that we need to be very careful, as they should have been very careful, when we add methods and we add practices to God's law and all of a sudden call them scripture. If it helps you to stay obedient, to follow a certain process, that's great. But what may help you doesn't mean it's gospel to somebody else. It could be a helpful suggestion. Like it's a helpful suggestion that to be able to stay up all night and have an all night prayer time with Jesus. I can tell you right now, all night for me means nine, ten o'clock. That's all night. Because after about 10 o'clock, and my wife can testify to this, so can my son, I begin to fade. And by 11, probably Jesus is the only one who can talk to me at that moment. It can be helpful to tell people, well, you need to get up every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning and have a quiet time with Jesus. That presupposes that you are a morning person. So it really becomes something that can be individualized. And to make that gospel, well, there's obviously a problem in your life because you don't get up every morning early with God. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that you need to do that. It, means you need, it says you need to meet with him in whatever that means. Only God gets to make scripture. What works for me and what has worked in the past and what's worked for others, even if it's worked for many, if it's not in what thus says the Lord, we can't call it scripture. One of these 39 clarifications, so I will, I will comment on one, prohibited kneading dough in order to make bread. And the presumption here from the Pharisees, although they don't clarify, is that they must have believed that in making the clay, it involved this kneading process. And so, because of this, because he was kneading spit and mud to make clay on the Sabbath, he must not be a man of God. He must be a sinner. How ridiculous. Because that's what mattered to them. Never mind the reason that the clay was made. This was a reason to rejoice. This was a reason to give God praise. This was a reason to thank God for his love and give him glory for his mercy. It wasn't a reason to look in the manual to see how God's allowed to heal people of being blind. Now some of them got it. Because some would say, how could someone do these things if he were a sinner and not from God? Some understood that the hand of God had moved in this man's life and that Jesus had been the vehicle from their perspective that had made it come to pass. But the leaders didn't want to see Jesus that way. How many have had people in your life that just didn't want to see Jesus in a certain way? They wanted everyone to see them, them being the Pharisees, as the only source by which God could do works. The only way God could be understood. The only way godliness could be defined. And again, we need to be careful. When we define godliness by how it looks. Or by how the person being used by God looks. 
I've always tried to be flexible on this because I always want to be known as someone who has, if I'm going to be strict about something, it's got to be clear in Scripture. Obviously, and it should be obvious to anyone who's known me for any length of time, I really don't care what color your hair is. Obviously, I don't care about that. Obviously. I don't put a premium on if your hair is a natural color, you're godly, and if it's some other color, you're a sinner. Obviously, I don't care if when you make pasta and sauce, where you get the sauce from. Now, don't throw anything at me. Yeah, you were okay with the hair color thing, but now I've gone to messing with sauce or gravy. Now, these things all seem simple, and they can seem silly, but there are others. There are those who wouldn't come to this church because when I preach, I do not wear a jacket and a tie. There are those who wouldn't come to this church because when I preach, I don't wear a robe when I preach. There are those who wouldn't go to some churches because the, the preacher does wear a robe and does wear a jacket and does wear a tie. And I'm sorry, if that's the only thing you're looking for, if that's the only criteria we're looking to have put forward to measure whether or not someone is being able to deliver the word of God, that in my book is shallow judgment. The crowd asked a valid question. How could this man who was a sinner do such signs? So seeing that they were getting nowhere, getting absolutely nowhere and losing the people by talking to the man who had been healed himself, they turned to somebody else. John chapter 9. Well, no, first they turned to the man himself. John chapter 9 verse 17. Then they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes and he said he is a prophet now remember when this man had left Jesus after the clay had been applied to his eyes he was still blind he was told to go wash and then he could see so he hadn't yet had the chance to have visual contact with the Lord he answered with the only level of knowledge he had which was that he was a prophet They were looking for a better answer. The Pharisees didn't like that answer. So getting nowhere with the man, where do they turn? His parents. John chapter 9, verse number 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they had called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked, him, asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind, what how does he then see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> he will speak for himself. And if anyone confessed his parents said these things because they feared the Jews and for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, ask, he is of age, ask him. Hmm. 
they basically asked three questions of the parents. Is this your son? Was he born blind? How is it that he now sees? And they gave three answers. Yes, yes, ask him. On the first two questions, could the people asking the questions be more insensitive? Be more insensitive to parents who had gone through the trauma, and especially in that day, gone through the public issue of bringing a child into this world that had been born blind. For years, this man had been blind, and because of that, society's structure had been relegated to beggar status among people. He was not permitted in many of the festivals or celebrations, and he was an outcast. And this was not only a source of shame for the parents, it often became a source of shame for the entire family. So put yourself in the parents' position. If this was us, I know if this was me, I'd crawl on my knees and my hands over glass to thank the person who brought sight to my baby boy's eyes. Yet we are not left to wonder why they came up with such an eloquent response as, ask him. It says in verse 22, they feared. They feared the leaders. They feared losing much more than just their status in the community. This was not just about social status. Again, the local synagogues were centers of life. They were the foundation of nearly every interaction socially and even economically. To be put out of the synagogue not only meant the loss of friends, it also meant often the loss of revenue, loss of jobs, the loss of homes, the loss of any means to survive. And their fear stopped them from taking a stand. And church, we live in a day like that today. The pressure to accept this world's view on life. The pressure to accept this world's view on marriage. The pressure to accept this world's view on politics. The pressure to accept this world's view on gender. The pressure to accept this world's view on a whole host of things. And this is where we're being called to be witnesses in this day to take a stand. I will not bow to the pressure. I will believe what God has put in his word. I do care about people. I do care what they think because it's part of who they are. So I care about people. But let's be clear. While I care about people, I care about God a whole lot more. God works in all of our lives. And he works in our lives in ways that can't often be explained. That's where we become witnesses. And that's where we need to stand firm on who he is in us. God has been my provider. God has been my fortress. God has been my deliverer. God has been my redeemer. God is my source of peace, and he is my source of joy. God is my protector. I can't always explain all that goes on, but I know that he is real. And above all of those things he's done for me, he is my savior, and he is my Lord. No, don't look at my life and say, well, you've been lucky in life. Luck had nothing to do with it. I serve a risen Savior today, and he's real. I've not been lucky. I've been blessed. 
And in case there's any need for further clarification, I've been blessed by Jesus Christ. So not getting anywhere with his parents, other than ask him, the leaders return to the healed man. John chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. All I know, as I was blind, and now I see. Church, that is our witness. Many believe that to embrace Christianity today is to check your brain at the door. I remember in college, I was doing well in my studies in the field of IT, and I had a friend who we were kind of the leaders in our class, and we helped out a lot in the college lab. And he, I even said this to him once, if you looked up the word atheist in the dictionary, his picture was there. <laughs> I told him to that. But somehow we couldn't be more philosophically different and yet we became friends. And we were in the school cafeteria at one point and we were talking and I had made some comment about God and he goes, you know, you're really, really aggravating. I go, what did I do? He said, you're one of the leaders in our class. Your GPA is up there. You're clearly intelligent. Why is it you have this blind spot when it comes to God? And I said, how can you call a blind spot when I'm looking at the light of the world? But the world looks at our faith that way. That nobody with intelligence, nobody with a brain between their ears can possibly embrace the gospel in all that it entails. That truly smart people, thinking people, don't believe that the Bible is true. It's just a collection of stories and myths and fables. It has some good teaching. It has some guiding principles that may be helpful in your life. But to give your entire life to it makes no sense. The Bible has a word for thinking like that. It's foolish. Everything that God gives us is point on point. And I can't explain everything in life. I can't explain every possible philosophy or why this happens or why that happens. But like this blind man, this once blind man said, all I know is I was blind and now I see. All I know is I was once filled with anger, and now I have joy. All I know is I was once anxious, and now I have peace. All I know is I was once lonely, and now I am never alone. All I know is that I was once lost, but now I am found. And the truth, the guiding truth, is I was once dead, but now I am alive forevermore. I don't have the answer yet. Give God praise in this place. We often feel that we have to have all the answers to every possible question before we can be a witness. We need to be an expert on all the possible philosophies that can come our way. 
you are an expert on what God has done for you. And that makes you a qualified witness for his glory. I don't have an answer to every question I've ever been asked. Oftentimes I wish I did. But many will try to put doubt in our minds about the reality of God's presence. But I know I was blind. But I cannot move away from the truth that when I've gone through the lowest moments of my life, there has been a presence that has given me strength that didn't make sense. That whenever I've gone through a painful season, Jesus was there. That is my testimony, that is our testimony, and that is our witness. Now, I've not been spared all of life's nonsense. Nobody gets spared of that. We've all had our dark times. But through them all, the light of the world was there. And that's how we know he's the light of the world, because he's shone brightly in those dark times. This world increasingly wants to paint the Christian faith as a faith of foolish, uneducated people. You know, it's when my, son, my older son went to Liberty University, they had a, a line in their theme song. Because we often get criticized of not being open-minded. That, why can't you be more open-minded? And I love the line of the song. It just basically says, it guards against being so open-minded that your brains fall out. I love that. Open-minded. That used to mean that you were willing to discuss and talk and even debate certain things while maintaining a respect for the, pe for the person you were speaking with. What open-minded means today is that unless you're willing to abandon what the world thinks is nonsense and embrace what the world thinks is acceptable, then you're not being open-minded, you're closed-minded. That's not open-minded. That's manipulation. That's them trying to control. This man stood in the midst of his culture, and the rest of John chapter 9 says because of what he said, he was put out of the synagogue. He had gone from being an outcast, so I don't know what they thought, what punishment they were giving him. It's not like he was on the in crowd anyway. But he was put out of the synagogue, and eventually he does get to meet and see Jesus. And when he sees him, he does what any sane, thinking, intelligent person would do. He bows and worships him. And that's, to me, the sign of supreme intelligence. When you come face to face with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you bow and worship. I don't know. He, de uh, he declared this whole conversation about whether or not he's a sinner or not. I don't have anything to add to that conversation. But I'm not going to base my faith on what I don't know. I'm going to base it on what I do know. And I know I was blind, and now I see. What has Jesus done for you? How has he been there for you? Because there are going to be people who will say, you don't know what you're talking about. There are so many philosophies out there, so many belief systems, so many religions, so many ways of looking at life. 
How can we look at John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and that no one comes to God except through me? How can we look at that as not being anything but so closed-minded and not being accepting of other people? I don't have an answer for that. But one thing I know is that the man who said that healed me. The man who said that has saved me. The man who said that gives me the ability to get up here every Sunday and bring the word of God. The man who did that is the God of all creation, and his name is Jesus. And all I do know is that I was dead. I was lost. And I am found and alive. But you're missing out on so much by not embracing the world's life. Really? Is that your selling point? That I could have what the world has? I could have the neurotic anxieties that the world has? I could have the fear that the world has? I could have the wonderful functional relationships that the world has? I'll stick with Jesus. That's my witness. And that's our witness. To proclaim him for what he's done for us. Individually. He has made me see. Not just actual medical sight. He's given me the ability to see people differently. He's given me to be able to see with his heart, with his eyes. He's given me the ability to see people who the world might reject as created in God's image. That I call healing. And it's a healing this world needs desperately. This man declared, I was blind and now 